Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The FIA World Endurance Championship on RS1. On RS1. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome along to a special programme here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels as we're looking forward to the 2019-2020 season for the FIA World Endurance Championship. This, in effect, is the first proper season uh, for the FIA World Endurance Championship in its new time slot. Call it a a school year or a, a football, a soccer season, if you will, starting at the end of the summer into the autumn uh, at Silverstone and running through to Le Mans the following June. Uh, 30 cars, we think, for the full season, although 31 are on the entry list for the four hours of Silverstone, and we'll be discussing uh, that uh, length of race, uh, as well as the uh, prospects for the full season ending uh, in France next year. Delighted to say that joining me on the line is Paul Trustwell. Hello, Paul. Hello, John. Nice to hear from you. Uh, and and you. Uh, and Shea Adam is joining us as well. Hello, Shea. Hello, John. Hello, Paul. Uh, this is uh, a very interesting looking entry list that I've got in front of me from the FIAWEC.com. Um, let, let's start uh, before we even get into the uh, into the drivers, into the teams, etc. Uh, let's start with the season uh, and start talking about the year, Paul. Uh, first of all, um, the the season now, as I said, is is going into its first the first opportunity. This is after that transition year that they had. Uh, last year, transition season they had last year, to run how this new season, uh, this new time slot in the year. This this is the first time we've had a chance to see a calendar, and this will be the first time that we will see this working. Starting at Silverstone towards the end of the the summer and finishing at Le Mans, but with better spacing at least through the year. Uh, for the or through the season, should I say, uh, for the? So I'm going to do that all the time. Uh, for the the uh, individual rounds, because there was one or two really big gaps before. Uh, it's Silverstone, then Fuji, then Shanghai, then Bahrain. Uh, four, I should actually say, four hours of Silverstone, six of Fuji, four in Shanghai, eight in Bahrain. That was a, always a bit of a talking point. Back to Sao Paulo for six. The 1,000 miles of Sebring, presumably starting earlier in the day. Uh, the six hours of Spa-Francorchamps in its normal time or thereabouts. And then, of course, absolutely in its normal time, the 24 hours of Le Mans. It, it's, it's a nicely balanced calendar and it looks a, a, a bit more put together, if you will, than last year's transition season. Because obviously they had to, they had to, had to add in Spa and Le Mans. Uh, to make that super season, as they, they called it. It's, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's there. And, and that's what it, we've got to look forward to. It is what it is. I mean, 
we, we've had all the debates and the various committee meetings that have gone on to try and decide what to do, and we've got something now, so let's just get on with it, I say. Um, it, it, it is a little odd. Um, I, I was looking back at last season's uh, races, and I thought Silverstone, oh, that was round three last year. Why was that round? Oh, of course it was yes, round three exactly. last year. This year it's round one. Um, so... <laughs> Yes, I mean, I think we just have to get on with it. Um, there's a piece of me that doesn't really like championships anyway. I like standalone races. Yeah. Um, so whether we have a championship that starts in September and runs through till June, uh, or whether we have one that starts in January and ends at the end of December, uh, doesn't really matter. Um, the thing that I've always been uncomfortable with, and I'll get it out of my system now, is having Le Mans as the final round of this championship. I don't like that at all. And I think when we get to Le Mans, we may find that there are all sorts of people saying, uh, oh, well, we'll just be going for a finish because we need to get championship points. And, and it's all going to be a horrible, horrible mess. And Le Mans, to me, is a much more important event than um, just the final round of a championship, which is what the FIA World Endurance championship committee have tried to do um to build up le mans so that it is both yes. but i don't think it's going to work um so as i say i've got that out of the system now um the, we're in the um we're in the new season uh, or we will be in the new season uh, starting at uh, silverstone and you mentioned it it's only four hours mm. um and Actually, I don't mind. Um, I've been banging on as much as anybody, I think, probably, um, because the the season needed a bit of shaking up somehow. You've described how it's now uh, a little bit better spaced out through the course of the uh, with the races nicely separated through the course of the year. Um, but we've got an eight hour race. We've got six hour races. We've got the four hour race. Um, and I think that just gives the teams a little bit more to think about. The trouble with a six-hour race is it makes all, everything terribly, terribly straightforward. Yes. With a four-hour, um, you've got to think about it a bit more carefully and say, well, actually, how are we going to get all our drivers through in a four-hour time frame? <laughs> oh, let's have a look at what the regulations say about yeah. minimum drive times, things like that. So that's a good thing, I think. And um, to have these different lengths of races, um, even if it means you get two hours less racing, um, uh, at the end of the day, it's a great weekend at Silverstone. Uh, it's, you know, it is Silverstone. It's the home of British motorsport. Um, and everybody will enjoy it. And when you get to the end of the four hours, whether you get to the end of four hours, six hours, um, you, you don't care. You just wave the chequered flag and you say, that was a good race. And I'm sure it will be a great race this weekend. Fewer hours of racing at Silverstone, Shear, doesn't necessarily mean, as Paul rightly says there, that it is uh, less of a challenge, particularly for the guys on the wall. And we've seen this with IMSA racing down through the years. Two hours and 40 minutes, not much of an endurance test there. But in terms of strategy, uh, particularly in, in the classes that have minimum drive times, that can make people work harder. And it, it's not necessarily just a standard number of stints. So for endurance followers, for people particularly like Paul, uh, who like to look at where the differences are being made and who's making the difference whether it's an Iron Man stint or something particularly superb or whether it's something clever on the wall and, and I, I'm, I'm with Paul on that part of it I, I think that's that's an, an interesting new challenge for the guys in the WEC uh, on the on the pit wall to be able to have to think maybe a little bit harder very much so I mean the the most recent example from IMSA comes from Virginia International Raceway a racetrack eerily similar to Silverstone in length of the lap. Yeah, They're just almost, over three miles, exactly, yeah. Exactly, very similar uh, length. 
not necessarily the time that it takes to get around them because when you've got the LMP1 cars, it'll be a lot faster, but you still have to manage the wall. And that's what resulted in the overall win at VIR. It's going to be a very similar situation when we get to Silverstone. Uh, one thing I, um, I, I don't necessarily agree with with Paul about is is putting Le Mans at the end. One of the, the things, uh, and, and, and actually I do agree with one thing that Paul said, and I think that, that, that Le Mans is... Le Mans, and therefore is the most important endurance race in the world. And interestingly, from what I've been told from the inside machinations of, of, of moving to this new calendar, which obviously we saw sort of last season for the FIA WEC, was actually that Gerard Nouveau, uh, the man at the head of the WEC, and the FIA were the ones who weren't keen on it. Uh, the, the person who thought it was okay was Pierre Fillon, who's top hmm. of the tree at the ACO. He thought that, that Le Mans was big enough and important enough to stop people doing what Paul was talking about and go, nah, but it's Le Mans. Well, perfect example is what happened this year at Le Mans. Our champions raced. Mm, they went into they really it. Did. Look at the GT Pro champions and Kevin Estra, uh, they were and Michael Christensen joined by Lawrence Vantor. They were leading the race when the car had a failure in the exhaust. They were pushing as hard as humanly possible. True. Look at GTE Am with Team Project One. Yes, they finished second across the line, but they did eventually win their class and they won the world championship. And by the way, they could have lost it going in. But the big thing this year for the the um, next evolution of the super season for the WEC is date equity. They didn't have the dates exactly where they wanted them to be, Correct. so they shifted some of them. But they still have four of the events basically in the where same time period, and that holds true to fans. No, I I, I agree. As I say, it's a much more balanced uh, calendar, uh, and I think everybody will be pleased about that. Unfortunately, they're still at the moment that we're talking here. Uh, a couple of clashes with Formula E, which has cost Sam Bird his seat. Uh, certainly Sam uh, has said that. Uh, it will also cause some logistic issues, logistical issues for uh, more than the odd one of the manufacturer teams having to support two of those. Might even give some problems to some of the press corps as well. But that is, I'm afraid, what it is. And there are only so many weekends in a year. And with the Formula E, the FIA Formula E, calendar also running across two calendar years um, then I suppose there was always going to be a danger of that. Uh, you're listening to a Radio Show Limited uh, Network special programme as we look to the 1920, the 2019-2020 World Endurance Championship uh, that kicks off with the four hours of Silverstone. Let's start talking about some teams and Shall we? Which end shall we start at? Shall we start with the GTs or the, or the P? Let's start with the GTs and start with GTM. And I'll do that for two reasons. One, there's quite a lot to talk about here. Quite a lot more than perhaps we might have known uh, up until a few weeks ago. And the second point, Paul Trustwell, is that it is the most numerate of the classes with 11 cars in GTE-AM, which is actually a, a pretty good turnout. Let's not kid ourselves. GTE-AM, it, it might be, for some people, the entry level into FIA World Endurance Championship, but these are very expensive, uh, very highly sophisticated racing cars. They still have to be uh, um, a model year back from the cars that race 
in Pro. But this is this is very high quality field here with Aston, Porsche, uh, and Ferrari all represented. Uh, very much so. Uh, do you mean numerate or numerous? I mean numerous. numerous. Yes. The, yes. But, but numerate they can, just means they're, they're good at math. Uh, they, they can add up really <laughs> well. All of these cars can do arithmetic very well, very well indeed. Um, yes. No, Sorry, what, one, no, no, that's, you're absolutely right. Um, the uh, one car that isn't there that might have been is the Ford of Ben Keating. Uh, and, and maybe, Cher, you can talk to that um, before we get into what is there. Um there, there are a number of people, and you've spoken to Ben Keating relatively recently as well, uh, who are seeing, uh, and, and Ben's kind of intimated that this might be the case, that the Ford wasn't going to be welcome. He probably wouldn't have got an, an entry. And I find that stunning that they would have had 10 rather than 11 cars because they didn't feel that the Ford GT was, was, was all right to go in GTEM. Ben was very diplomatic about this when when talking to me uh, before this weekend to kick off. And he said simply, if you can't beat them, join them, which was his mentality to going to Team Project One in their second car. So he will be back in a Porsche. And Ben Keating has had success in the States driving a Porsche in the past. Not alongside Blickmull, no. It was alongside Damien Faulkner in the GTC days. But this is going back to roots for Ben. He's got the same two co-drivers alongside him that he had at Le Mans this year. But you're correct, not in the Ford. The Porsche, he feels, will be a stronger car this year as well though so that's ben keating felipe fraga the brazilian and uh, the dutchman jerome blakemolen who's been paired with ben that's that's a big step for for ben i I think and we've talked about this on imza radio his confidence and his driving ability absolutely went through the roof after le mans all right he didn't get to keep the trophy but put that to one side um he has been driving as well as we've seen him. He, he'll he go to Silverstone off the back of his first victory this season uh, in the GT3, the GT Daytona class. But it's still, still, it is a big step up. But going to somebody like Team Project One, uh, they those guys know which way is up. Yeah, and, and Ben put it in an interesting way he said he's looking for a new challenge he's been racing on the american tracks now for six consecutive years he raced for six years in vipers doing championships before he came into imsa so this is going to be a completely new kettle of fish for ben new tracks new jet lag to deal with for him because he's going to have to do a lot more traveling this is a new challenge and when ben keating sees a challenge he tends to rise to the occasion so i'm expecting them to be a very competitive team for the Championship. Uh, the uh, new Porsche or the Porsches, Paul from Project One, also have uh, a Gideon Perfetti, David Hennemar Hansen, and Matteo Caroli. Uh, that's a, a pretty stout lineup for the 56 car. The Ben Keating car is the, the 57 car. The other Porsches are in the hands of Gulf Racing and Dempsey Proton uh, Racing. Um, uh, as well, uh, no, no, there's two Dempsey Proton cars. In the, yes, there is. There are uh, in in that. Um, ev- everybody on Michelin in GTE arm. Um, Porsche doing what Porsche do and getting the cars out to to their customers. That's kind of what we expect. 
if it, if it was a war, and some would say it is, it is then, yeah. Um, yeah, Porsche have the advantage because they have the most cars out there. Uh, you know, it's a bit like one of those games of chess where you just count up the number of pieces that everybody has left and say, OK, let's start the massacre. Um, <laughs> motor racing is not, not quite like that. Um, but uh, you, you get my point. You've got the two team project cars. You've got the two cars from Dempsey Proton, the Golf car uh, and... No, that's it, that's it, it in Am, yeah. Um, uh, but I think that what makes GTE Am racing what it is, is is not the cars, the manufacturers, particularly in GTE Am, it's the drivers. Um, and one of the things, I mean, you were talking about Ben Keating there, he's the bronze driver of that lineup. Um, I'll, I'll put you on the spot, John, or mm. Shay. Roughly, how long does a GTE car go on a tank full of fuel? Uh, 45. 45 to 50 minutes, depending on how uh, much full uh, chat running you have. A bit, bit on more it. than that. It'll go an hour. Really? Okay. Um, so um, they, 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 will, they should be able to do an hour's, uh, hour's running. The problem they have with a four-hour race is that the AM driver, sorry, the bronze driver, yeah. uh, has to do an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? Do you put your bronze driver in for that minimum time of an hour and a half and take the extra fuel stop? Yeah. Or do you try and make your stint in your your race strategy? You were talking about race strategy yeah. earlier on. Of course, the first thing I did when I started looking at four-hour races, oh, how are we going to split the race up? Yeah. Well, for a GTE car, it splits nicely into three pit stops, four hour, roughly an hour-long uh, stints. Um, so we have each driver in the car for an hour, uh, or each stint is an hour. Um, and you put the best driver in at the beginning and the end because that kind of makes sense. Except you can't because you need mm. to get an hour and a half driving time for your bronze driver. Mm. So do you leave your bronze driver in for two hours and save a pit stop or do you put him in for an hour and a half um, and get him out as soon as possible so you can get one of the quicker drivers? And with the best one in the world, Jerome Blakemolin and Felipe Fraga are quicker than Ben Keating. And I think most of the bronze drivers in GTE Am would say that they are not as Correct. quick as the um, silver and gold. I don't think there are any. Oh, so there is one platinum in uh, GTEM, a couple of platinums in GTEM. But, you know, the bronze drivers don't pretend to be as quick, so they, no. sh they could well be quite happy to get out after an hour and a half. But as I say, then you're sacrificing that extra pit stop. Um, obviously, the bronze driver has to qualify the car, has to be one of the uh, drivers that qualify. I think what I'd probably do is stick the bronze driver in at the beginning and hope that you get... Um, some kind of safety car or full course caution, uh, full course yellow intervention in the first half an hour or 40 minutes, bring them in, top them off and then send them again. May I just put you on the spot for a moment, Paul? Um, mm. The pit lane delta at Silverstone, about how much time do you lose from doing a pit stop? It's quick to go through. You actually take some time off and, and that's why the guys at Alcamel have to have a very clever little uh, subroutine because it can be your quickest lap. It it's it's not yeah it's, it's the quick in yes um but it the overall time through the pit lane is 24 seconds as i remember um it's something like it's between 20 and 24 seconds at silverstone um so yes you, you the point is is well made jay uh the pit lane speed limit 60 kilometers an hour so although uh, it's a shorter distance to go through the pit lane you're traveling pretty slowly um and of course the amount of fuel that has to go into the car for that extra stop is less um so as I say, the question is there to be asked. Do we yeah. put the bronze in for a, uh, a stint and a half or 
but the point being that he will the bronze driver will have to do more than a tank full of fuel yes. uh, and it's a question of then whether you make it a whole tank full or just a tank full and then the whatever time is remaining to get to the hour and a half or split it at 45 minutes and uh, yeah that would be another way of doing it we, yeah. because we've seen that happen in the the Nürburgring of course where people split up the shorter races in the Nürburgring into manageable chunks similar chunks uh, rather than going all the way to emptying the tank and that if you're not going to change tyres particularly and that's going to depend a lot on the new surface at Silverstone, the brand new surface with no, which none of these cars uh, have raced on yet. In fact, I don't think there's been a car race on the uh, circuit yet. Certainly apart not. From, a, apart, from, apart from the Grand Prix, uh, was that on the new surface? I think it was done yeah, yeah. after the Grand Prix no, no. again. No, no, it was before the Grand Prix. Really? Mm. Oh. Yeah, the Grand Prix was the first race on the new surface. Right. Okay. Um, I thought they'd done a bit more before Mortal G. Peter, but uh, but I'll, I I uh, I Paul Paul uh, Trustwell. I, I shall bow to your knowledge. Um, ha- however, um, Porsches. Then we're talking about. So we, we've talked about Team Project One. Dempsey Proton Racing. Christian Reid continues his run as is now the only driver, Paul, to have done all of the FIA World Endurance Championship rounds. He's got Matt Campbell, the very quick Australian, and Ricardo Perra, the Italian, who's come up through uh, European Le Mans series and done the the World Endurance uh, Championship as well. Nice to see Christian back and keeping that run going. And Matt Campbell, certainly uh, a very good uh, gold driver to have there Mm. as your uh, quickest driver. Uh, I almost feel that Matt warrants a, a GT Pro class car rather than having to drive an AM car but uh, I think there's one or two in the AM class who the same could be said of but uh, no you're right the other Proton car uh, in the hands of Thomas Prining is uh, the one driver uh, and in fact on my introduce he's got TBAs alongside him uh, Thomas Prining quick Austrian driver he's uh, beaten very rapid on uh, occasions is he um, still a, a Porsche supported driver he was well, for a while and, and but I, I, I can I never honest- remember how Porsche call them supported drivers or youth drivers. It's not like the Porsche Young Driver program of, of old, but that there are a number of drivers that they support. And, and, and Thomas Prining was one of them at one stage. So that tells you all you need to know. If Porsche yeah. think that much of him and they've, they've yeah. handed him over to Dempsey Proton Racing, then he's going to be pretty decent. Oh, absolutely. Um, still in his very early 20s, I think, if not a teenager, um, certainly very young. I think scholarship is uh, ah. a word that springs to mind to describe okay. what Porsche uh, does for his racing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can rely on him to be uh, to be quick. As I say, I don't know who his co-drivers are going to be at the moment, but uh, I'm sure that will become clear in the coming days. 21 years old he is, so you're spot on in his early uh, 20s. Uh, looking at... Uh, the Gulf Racing car, and there'll be plenty of people looking at that. Ben Barker, who obviously we know very well. Andrew Watson and Mike Wainwright, of course, uh, in that car share. That's a, a, a good, uh, it's a good setup. They perhaps don't have the outright pace of some of the other trios, but that is a team that we've seen in the past being able to get the car through uh, and pick up particularly if there's been problems further up the field. Well, and appropriately, we were talking about Prining. That's his old team. That's who he was driving with for the last season. So interesting that they've drafted in Andrew Watson, a guy whose name has been attached to McLaren in the past, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But it's going to be a good, solid lineup for those three. They just need to break through the barrier of trying to get past everyone else. Mm. And it's not like the competition's gotten any easier this year. I mean, the Aston Martins, we haven't talked about yet, but those two lineups, oh my goodness. 
goodness, that's going to be a challenge for, well, for we'll, golf. We'll talk about Aston Martin in a moment. The final point I want to make about Porsches is, of course, they are all the Generation 1 of the 991-shaped RSR. When we get to the GT Pro, there's a new car for those guys. But, as we mentioned, it remains uh, mandatory in Le Mans GTE Am that you are one iteration back from the uh, GTE Pro, one year back from the G. So they won't be able to have those cars. Now, that happened last year to Paul Dallalana, and he was quite upset about it at, at times because, really... Um, if it had been a normal FIAWEC season, he would have been allowed the new 4-litre twin-turbocharged Aston Martin Vantage AMR. But because it was a carryover season, he wasn't. He's now got one, as have TF Sport, Tom Ferrier's team. They are 90 and 98, 90 for the TF. Uh, Sally Yolick, Charlie Eastwood and Johnny Adam uh, looks a very interesting lineup. But what about this? Here's the, one of the big shocks for me. Paul Dallalana, but not with these normal co-drivers, two Aston Martin works driver, platinum in Darren Turner and Ross Gunn, the silver driver. That looks to me, uh, Paul Trustwell, that Aston are really taking... Uh, GTE Am very seriously and doing the same sort of thing that we've seen Porsche do down through the years and buying some of their factory drivers in to their customer teams. Uh, yeah, there's... Um, I, I, I mean, you uh, were heavily involved with the Gentleman Driver movie mm. and uh, it, it, was, it was a good movie, enjoyed it. Um, what it did well, particularly, was that kind of fly on the wall. Uh, and I would love there to have been a fly on the wall when uh, Paul Dallalana met with um, the, 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 the John Gore and uh, uh, folk at uh, Aston Martin Racing, whether uh, David Richards would have been there, I don't know. But I would have loved to have been at that meeting where Paul Dallalana said, right, 2019-20, what we're going to do is I want to have Darren Turner in my team uh, and I want to have somebody else who obviously can't be a platinum because it's a NAM car, um, but I want the best silver driver we can possibly get, uh, maybe a young up-and-coming thrusting driver. Um, who do you think? Uh, John mm. Gore will have stroked his chin and say, well, Ross Gunn is very quick, yeah, very, very young. Um, and um, Paul Dallalana, businessman that he is, would have put his hand down on the table then in that assertive fashion of his and said, right, let's do it. <laughs> um, so so that, there's, there's, there's the picture that, that um, somebody has to build somewhere, a little, a little drama. Is that, how you, is that how you imagine it played out? Or is it, it, could it not have been Aston coming and saying, listen, we've got these guys um, and they're not... Uh, you know, Darren's not going to be doing a full season in the pro car. We saw him not doing the series in the full season in the pro car last year. So he's available. We've had him out in Japan doing a bit of stuff. Uh, Ross has been doing some uh, British GT. How how about, as one of our uh, longest customer teams, how about you take those those guys on? Is, is, I, mean, I mean, is that a scenario that might have played out? Perfectly good scenario. Perfectly good. That's the beauty of this kind of sport is we can we can make up scenarios in <laughs> our minds. We, we, we can imagine them how they happened, and then eventually uh, somebody at Aston Martin will have listened to it, and they'll say, "Look, guys, it wasn't like that. It was like this." But yeah. at the end of the day, no. I mean, but whichever way you put it, um, it is an indication of the seriousness with which Aston Martin take this thing, um, and. 
even though it's only GTEM, and that's in inverted commas, um, it is still very, very important. And Aston Martin are very much into customer racing. Um, that's how the, they, as a company, they go motor racing. Um, and... You know, they want to do well in the AM categories. Yes, absolutely. And I should remind everybody as well, of course, in terms of manufacturer points uh, for the manufacturer's title, it doesn't matter whether it's an AM or a pro car. It's the best place uh, placed of the manufacturer. Uh, and therefore, if there were problems with mm, the new 19 cars and there was a bit of unreliability, but not very Porsche, I know, it might... <laughs> it, it might it might fall to either TF Sport or uh, uh, to, uh, sorry, um, not very Aston Martin, I know. Um, but it, the if either of, of the 95 or the 97 cars had problems, then it would fall to TF Sport or, or to uh, to Paul Dallalana. Ross Gunn is interesting because we got a good look at him at Virginia. He came, up to, came over to support Akil Rabindra in a GT4 car in GS. Now, that's a car, of course, that he was very, very much involved, integrally involved in the, the development of that new four-litre car. He took to American circuits um, as if he'd been there all his life. He took to IMSA Racing as if he'd been there all his life. He was good in and out of the car. Except for pit walls. Well, except had a little trouble with pit walls. He he did fall off the pit wall, yes, (laughs) in the race. But but I think we'll allow him that one because everything else was pretty nigh on perfect. As Paul says, this this signals intent for Aston Martin. Well, and and I'm sorry for blinding you with the light bulb that just went off over Mm. my head because I've just realized that Darren Turner and Johnny Adam were the third drivers for Le Mans for the pro cars. Correct. So now we have two open seats when we come around to Sebring. That could play very interesting in in the hands of Aston Martin because their third driver in the past, Daniel Serra, who they borrowed, uh, he came and won Le Mans with them. Mm. He's now back with Ferrari. Mm. Who do we know that they could get? Well, well there's mm, some blue ovals walking around. There are some blue oval drivers potentially walking uh, around there. So that's the two Astons. Uh, then we've got a slew of Ferraris. Um, it is uh, it is all effectively, well, not effectively, it is all, I think. I know, MR Racing are um, a Japanese-flagged team. Are they, does that come under Amato Ferrari uh, as as well as AF Corsa and Red River Sport uh, and all of the other Ferrari teams that they seem to be running 97 different cars? That's so uh, MR. He is, he is a my cousin. Uh, oh, he yes. is a very good friend as a family. <laughs> Hang on, has Nick Damon crashed this call? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, Amato Ferrari's AF uh, organisation um, as we've said many times before, Ferrari don't have a works GT team. If it did, it would probably look very like AF Corsa. So if you've ever been to their uh, premises, it's an extraordinary place and they run so many cars throughout the year. So the two AF Corsa entries then are the, uh, the 54 and the 83. Thomas Fleur, Swiss driver, Frankie Castellacci and Giancarlo Fisichella. Well, those three need no real introduction. Francois Perodo, one of the nicest men. Still a bronze driver, very good bronze driver, the Frenchman. Emmanuel Collard, who's been driving probably as good as he has been in his career. Uh, a very long and illustrious career. He's now downgraded to a gold. And Nicholas Nielsen, the Danish driver, is the silver Uh, You've got to say straight away there, Paul, with those two cars, they are good, uh, stable, 
driving lineups and both of those cars, we will be will be calling their names a lot through the season. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've as you say, we've gone through the other um, teams of Porsches and the Aston Martins, but uh, the the Ferrari, there's still something evocative about driving a Ferrari, uh, you know, and there's something evocative about having Giancarlo Fisichella at the wheel of uh, of a Ferrari or having Olivier Beretta at the wheel of a Ferrari, you know. The, 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 it's something about international sports car racing and you know you and i um, i've probably been watching international sports car racing even longer than you have um possibly even before shay was born i was at almost Brands certainly <laughs> um but um you know having ferrari in there is just so crucial yeah. and there are uh, am drivers gentlemen drivers let's call them non-professional drivers um for whom driving a Ferrari in the World Championship is massive. Mm. And actually, once they've done that, they've achieved their ambition. And if they can then stand on a podium, even better. Um, but, you know, AF Corsa um, lives and breathes Ferraris, and they'll put together a good car no matter what. Um, you know, and people, as I say, like uh, Fisichello, you talk about like Castellacci, um, Francois Perodo, Emmanuel Collard, you know, these people will will give of their best performance. They're intensely competitive people. Um, so it will turn into, you know, a, a right old dogfight no matter what. Um, you know, we, we tend to get distracted in the races themselves by what's going on up at the front of the field, by what's going on in GT Pro. Um, but between the AMs, it's, it's always a hugely important race as well. Well, it's, it's the difference that, it is the difference that makes the difference. Because if you're um, least... Uh, well-qualified driver uh, can be consistent and consistently fast, then that's where your advantage is. You expect the, the pro drivers to be able to do what they do. And no one with very much more experience in this field than Olivier Beretta, who finds himself with uh, Motoaki Ishikawa and uh, Kai Cosolino, uh, the two Japanese drivers in the Mr. Racing car, which is undoubtedly what we'll be calling it, uh, that uh, Ferrari. Uh, Beretta, evergreen, just keeps finding uh, drives and keeps doing what he does. He's intensely competitive, uh, has made, developed, uh, and in, in some ways uh, has, has pushed forward his uh, character as a um, quite a aggressive driver. Uh, he goes for the gaps when they're there, the Monegasque driver. Uh, the final Ferrari I want to talk about is the Red River Sport car. Uh, this is Bonamy Grimes with Charlie Hollings, the Irish driver, and Johnny Morland back in the FIA World Endurance Championship. We had Johnny on Midweek Motorsport uh, talking about this and how this um, wasn't him really coming out of retirement, although he accepts that it is, but he, he's taken on this new role of mentor running Red River sport bon grimes uh, one of his earliest clients and this is an entry that gets them to the le mans 24 hours charlie holling's been involved with red river sport as well before and a sub for johnny when he hasn't been available uh, quite obvious from what johnny was saying to us here uh, a couple of weeks ago on uh, midweek motorsport that they don't expect necessarily to set the world on fire this year, but this is the start of Bonamy Grimes going towards what he wants to do, which is to win his class at Le Mans. And he's, he's come up, they did the Asian Le Mans series last year, so they've come through, he's, he's serving his apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. Don't you feel bad for Johnny Mullum having to come back and drive a race car out of retirement, being dragged from the clutches of sitting in a rocking chair somewhere? No. 
I mean, we love having JMO back. You know what JMO says? He says he's much happier in the car than having to do all the logistics and and booking the flights (laughs) and everything, everything like that. It's it's great to see because wouldn't all of us, if we drop the Euro Millions or the Powerball or whatever, wouldn't we like to think that we could do something as Bonamy Grimes? And the only thing that's stopping us doing it is, you know, a big the the wherewithal effectively to do that. Yeah, and and Bonamy Grimes total credit to him because as you said he is serving his time he's done the races in the road to Lamar he's mm. he's driven the circuit before to get to know it before jumping into the big show and even more credit to him for coming in and doing a full season you learn the competition you learn how to race in WEC and then you don't just come into Lamar and expect to win it's the same thing that Patrick Lindsay did last year with the mm. World Endurance Championship and guess what that resulted in a championship and a Lamar win yeah very good point uh, as far as the cars themselves are concerned, Paul Trustwell, Ferrari, Porsche and, and Aston Martin, it is, of course, a balance of performance class, not as nakedly so as, as GT3, of course, uh, GTE uh, in pro or am. Um, is, is there anything that we can say before the start of the season as to which one will have an advantage? Of course, it will all play out with the... Uh, how the the rolling system goes on now, but they've all been to the prologue at uh, Barcelona, and therefore presumably they'll start on a fairly equal playing field. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the good thing about AM is that because there are year old chassis, there is no shortage of data on the cars because they've uh, they've got you know they've they've had a year's worth of experience of them running in the GTE Pro class. Um, the the hard bit is getting the BOP right for GTE Pro, but we'll come mm. on to that later. Um, the uh, in GTE AM, and and that's why. I, you know, we see people like Darren Turner, we see people like Manu Collard, Fizzy Keller, in uh, Johnny Molum, in the uh, GT Am class cars, because to get the best out of them, you need the best drivers, because yes. you can't do anything to the car to make it quicker, so you need to get a good driver in there. Yeah, abs- absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Uh, so let's move into GTE Pro. Only six cars, of course. Uh, we knew of the withdrawal of the Chip Ganassi Ford uh, GT UK programme. So two Ferraris, two Porsches and two Aston Martins. The Ferraris had their Evo last year. That's the two AF Corsa cars, 51 and 71. But changes here, Shea, in the driving lineup. And uh, We mentioned the clashes with Formula E. Uh, Sam Bird... Uh, not listed in the Ferrari as he we would have maybe expected him to be. Miguel Molina has stepped into the car with Davide Regon. What we don't know is, is whether even Sam's going to get the call for the long-distance races as yet. Sam not very happy about that, but he's had to make his decision. Either he's already contracted to Formula E or there was some other imperative Paddock rumour would suggest the financial imperative. Um, you get paid a lot more money to go and drive Formula E than you do in a GTE Pro. So James Collado with Alessandro Perghidi, Davide Regon with Miguel Molina. We miss Sam, but those are two very, very good driver lineups. Yeah, Miguel is the normal third driver for the endurance races, so it was natural that he would slot right into that position and take up the reins, as it were, 
Sam is definitely going to be missed, though. He's been a consistent personality in the WEC paddock since 2015, I want to say, when he was the LMP2 champion. So Sam's driven just about everything in the paddock. And for him, it's going to be more painful to not be at Silverstone this weekend than it will be for anyone else. Mm. Uh, Aston Martin Racing have two, they're back with two of the. EMRs, the new Vantage, uh, last year, 95 and 97. Mark Will Sorensen and Nicky Team have the Dane train. That's, of course, got to be number 95. Alex Lynn and Maxine Martin. So, Brit and uh, Belgian combo there. We've said already, Paul, about how seriously it looks like Aston Martin are taking GTE. Um, only two drivers, I should say, uh, for each of the uh, factory GTE Pro cars. Uh, Aston um, may have felt that a couple of races got away from them last year and, and they want to put that right this year. I've, I've spoken to a number of people on the team uh, and and they feel that this year could be their year. Uh, well, um, I'm sure they do feel that this year will be their year. Um, I, 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 but, but we haven't talked about one team yet and that's where... Mm-hmm. I, um, <laughs> however, let's talk about Aston Martin um, because that's where you, you were headed. Um, I mean, yes, a very strong driver lineup. I mean, uh, between Marco Sorensen, Nicky Team, Alexander, Lynn, Max Martin, um, they're all quick. I mean, just looking down the list, you said only six. It is only uh, six cars in GTE Pro. Um each of them with only two drivers, but all those 12 drivers, they're all platinum grades. Yes. Every single one. No other class in the World Endurance Championship is populated purely by platinum oh, that's drivers. That's a very good point. Uh, so, you know, it is going to be um, massive. The You know, it, it's going to be, if you haven't quite decided whether to go to Silverstone or not this weekend, then you should, because between the Ferrari, the Porsche and the Aston Martin, they are going to have a punch up of monumental proportions. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be wonderful to, to see them battling it out. Um, the race itself, as we, we've talked about, um, the kind of the nature of the stints, it'll be hour long stints. It chunks nicely, therefore, mm. into four stints, um, two stints for each driver. Double, um, double, probably. Almost certainly double, double. You wouldn't have any reason to have a third driver in the car. And in fact, I'm surprised that every other car in the field does have three drivers because to have three drivers for a four-hour race does seem to be somewhat of an embarrassment of riches. But uh, for the for the two drivers, as I say, double-double, um, I'm sure that uh, the, the place to be will be yeah, out on the circuit watching them go around or in the pits to see them trying to gain an advantage on each other in the pit lane. Um, you know, they are all top quality drivers. They, you know, the Aston Martin we know is a quick car. Or the Port, the Ferrari we know is a quick car from last year. The Porsche, we've not talked about it yet. We don't know. No, and that's a good point because uh, that Paul Tuswell brings up as we're looking at the GTE Pro category for the World Endurance Championship for 2019-2020 season. The Porsche 911 RSR uh, is the... It's it's listed as the 19 car, uh, and and this effectively is the second generation. It's still the 991 shape. It's not the new body shape, the 992 that the street car has just come out. Uh, all wide body cars, those uh, for the 992. We haven't seen a motorsport version of the 992 yet, although I am reliably informed by people within the Porsche motorsport community that that work is already ongoing for the cup car as well as the 
uh, at the RSR, which means that this 19 car may have a relatively short shelf life. Um, differences that we know, well, um, speaking to the drivers, pretty much everything has changed <laughs> for the 19 car. There's a revised aero. The uh, exhausts come out the side in front of the rear wheels. Uh, the engine's the same and, and still no turbocharger uh, on, on, on that car. But the interior, massively different. A steering wheel that has, I think it's a 37-page handbook for the steering wheel. The last edit did. The last edit, yeah. Yep. Uh, and Earl Bamber tells me it is effectively exactly the same as the steering wheel that came out of the uh, the 919 hybrid. Uh, so this is a very, very sophisticated car. It's the newest of the GTE Pro cars this year, Share. You, you never want to put a question mark above the reliability of a Porsche, and they've been testing that car for a long time. But it will give the BOP guys a bit of a headache to start with, and it can go one of two ways. They can get an advantage, or they can be very conservative, and maybe in the first few races we won't see the Porsche featuring. The thing that I find interesting, though, is reading between the lines, John, because Porsche won the championship last year in manufacturers. They've won the championship this year in manufacturers already in the IMSA WeatherTech sports car two rounds to go. with two races to go mm. you've got the strongest car in both fields why change it up well are mm. they worried about cars that were perhaps coming into imsa for next year and they wanted to debut the car in europe first did they want to do some races over here and be able to run the new car for the mm. 1920 season maybe the car's a little bit rushed maybe they had to get it out in time for silverstone but i'm just wondering why was your championship winning car on two continents effectively in two world championships not good enough to go out there and do it again i'll come back to that thought in a moment uh, the car is one thing paul the team is another and the porsche gt team have down through the years in whatever guys they have been in been one of the gold standard teams uh, in the pit lane uh, Porsche acquired a majority stake in Monti uh, Racing, and that who is effectively who is running this team with some of the guys who've come across uh, from the LMP1 project as well. You've got to say, you look at those guys, and there's not very many chinks, if any, in the armour, particularly when you add in Jimmy Bruni, who they headhunted very aggressively, and he brought his engineer over uh, as well from Ferrari to get some, to give them a, a head start on what is effectively now a mid-engine car. He's teamed with Richard Leitz and you've got Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra. Both have come up through the Porsche development ranks. That's that's a formidable team of two cars. It, it is indeed. And um, we spoke earlier about um, the, the, the way the race should pan out. Two double stints would be the most sensible option. Um, the the thing where Porsche also scores is in their ability to react yeah. to um, full course yellows, safety cars, weather, if it would rain in the middle of the race. And there is a forecast that I have seen that suggests this weekend might have a couple of showers at, uh, uh, in Ooh. Northamptonshire. Um, so, uh, and, and again, that is where Porsche is usually able to just do something clever. Um, they, they tend to get, their decisions on the pit wall uh, pretty much right. The, the only thing, you, you know, we had the little um, fly on the wall mm. um, discussion earlier on with uh, what might have happened with Paul Delalano and Aston Martin. Here's one. Um, 
somebody at Porsche said, why don't we team Jimmy Bruni with Kevin Estra? Mm. Um, you know, put the, the the real two hot shots in a car and then we'll have uh, the solid car, Rickard Leitz and uh, Michael Christensen, you know, the, the car that really can be relied upon. We'll, and nah, 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 <laughs> let's keep Kevin. Um, you know, you, but so I, I like the driver lineup, but there's just a little impish thought in me that it would be quite nice to have Jimmy Bruni and Kevin Esther in the same car. Mm. Yes. They would egg each other on beautifully, wouldn't they? But... <laughs> We've had a situation where Bruni co-drove with Vantor yep. in IMSA, and yep. Bruni is a lot happier sharing with Leeds. Yeah, no, very true, very true. And, and the and the chemistry. Paul's talked about this before. Looking at driver lineups down through the years, where it's a pair, whether it's a pair or a trio, the balanced the balanced lineups tend to be the ones that endure and also tend to be the ones that are successful. In, in, in LMGT Pro, of course, there, there's a car in there, the car that will be in there, uh, presumably, for at least one, possibly two races this year that we haven't talked about because it's not on the entry list, and that's a Corvette. Now, Corvette entered the current C7R for Sebring, as a wild card entry, a, a single entry there, a one-off, and then of course two cars for Le Mans. Um, we won't get the Le Mans entry until, and this is a, another vagary of how this new season's work. We won't get the, the Le Mans entry until roughly the same sort of time next year, sometime in early February. Um, and what we are waiting to see is what version of the Corvette will be on that list. Will it be the C7R, which is uh, currently being run with the front-engine big V8 uh, in the US. We are reliably informed that that car will be replaced in IMSA next year, although that announcement has not yet been made. The, again, there's a, a situation where the street car is out. Everybody's talking about it. It's a mid-engine car um, with a twin-turbocharged flat-plane 4-litre engine uh, behind the firewall. But that hasn't yet been announced as a racing car, and, we, and we, that's not our announcement to make. Um, but surely, Paul, they wouldn't want to race a different car uh, at at Le Mans next year uh, and wait until 2021 Le Mans to get the new car there. And, and my question to you, and, and, and I don't know the answer to this, it, that car wasn't at the prologue, and therefore how does it get homologated for the 20, for the 19... 19- 2019-2020 season, and does it have to have? Uh, does it have to race before it gets to Le Mans? Uh, I, I, I honestly don't know exactly what the regulations say. I mean, there is a technical regulation which describes how the car must be built. Um, it, it's not a question of it being homologated as such. It's just a question of it satisfying the technical regulations. Um, but when does it, it have to be presented to the ACO technical committee then? Uh, Presumably not just the week before Le Mans or when it, well, <laughs> if and when it starts. Hello. Uh, no, I mean, you're not going to be able to get it done that quickly. But you've, you've said it. The car is there. We all know what it looks like. I mean, they've been—they're not even spy pictures; they're proper pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and video, you're yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, it makes no sense to me that a team like Corvette Racing would run the C7R at Le Mans uh, 2020 um, as the end of this season um, when they've got the C8. Mm. Um, the logical, to me, logical thing to do would be to run it at Sebring. That's their home race uh, to then run it at Spa as the shakedown for Le Mans and then take it to Le Mans. Um, I would be 
very surprised indeed if that's not what happens. Um, I, I'm not sure they'll do Spa, but I bet they'll do Sebring. Spa's the week before Mid-Ohio, and they'll be going for a championship, so there's no way that we'll see. Well, uh, well, it'll have to be a spare car anyway. They'll have to have more cars, but they might do Spa. Well, I, I, I think you have to do Spa if you're going to do Le Mans. I think it's... Well, you, I don't you disagree don't have, with you. you. You don't have to in the sense of, of, of a regulation, but you just need to do it in order to get the team working. Um, but uh, I'm speculating. I'm just looking at it from the point of view of what makes sense um, and trying to put a Doug Feehan type, uh, I'm a racer, how are we going to make this work? Can I can I put on that Doug Feehan mm-hmm. hat for a second, Paul? Please, please, please um, do. Doug, Doug is very generous with it. I do like it. It is a very bright yellow. Um, the fact that they would be racing a C7 at Le Mans would be a lot easier on the whole team because then they wouldn't have the thrash to get the cars turned around after Mid-Ohio and the thrash to get the cars prepared for Watkins Glen shortly after Le Mans. The Watkins Glen CTMP back-to-back as it always is, yeah. And the last couple of years they've had significant crash damage That's from their cars, so... Maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go with the older spec car. And I was using the bunny ears quote mm. there because it then takes away the element of worry when you're going for a full season championship back in the States. I don't disagree with any of that logic. I just think they'll want to race the newest, loudest, you know, uh, shiniest Corvette. And France has a love affair and, and the Le Mans 24 hours has a love affair with the Corvette, which is an extraordinary thing for an American team. And I think they'll want to take the C8R over there to do it. And I think there'll be a lot of C8Rs driving around as well. I think we might see a, a lot of that. So that's LMGTE Pro and AM. Um, I, I, I dare not ask uh, either of my guests for predictions because I, I think it's nigh on impossible in GT to say who might win the championship. Or, or unless either of you want to um, posit a... I feel like sticking my neck out. I think well, Porsche's well, got this one. I've, I think Porsche's got this one nailed, John. In, in, um, in pro, in pro, right? Um, they have the best car. They have the best drivers, um, and that's not to um, say anything um, uh, detrimental about the other drivers. Um, you know, I've already said it's a it's a top class field, but I just think Porsche has the smallest of an advantage in every single category. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll I'll agree with Paul on that one, but I'll throw a wrench in the plan and say it's the other team that wins this year. So it's not Esther and Christensen defending, but Bruni and Leeds claiming uh, to be on par. I think Jimmy would would love that. Um, I think he'd love to have the world championship. What about Arm? Is that a tougher tougher one, Shane? In terms of who you pick, even in terms of a, a manufacturer, I can't really draw a line and I'll, I'll tell you something that, that Johnny Morlam talked about actually was interesting and, and I said how come you've ended up with Ferrari you'd been racing in Aston Martin in the in the uh, Asian Le Mans series with TF Sport uh, and Tom Ferrier puts a, a good program together I said I, I I said to Johnny I said I presume that the costs are vaguely similar I didn't want to know how much it was not not my business uh, and he said basically just came down to to Bond feeling better in the cars but uh, in the Ferrari than he did in any of the other options that were out there and, and that tells you just how closely matched all those cars there's not really a performance advantage uh, there um, 
might there be slightly better teams than others? I don't know. Anything with the F sports well, on it, good. Dempsey Protons won the title. You know, what do you think? There's a trio there that's melded together really well in the WEC over the last couple of years, and that's the 54A, of course. You've got Thomas Floor, who's driving mm-hmm. better than he ever has in the World Endurance Championship, Francesco Castellacci, who's really turned out to be a superstar, and uh, Paul Super was talking silver. about it earlier, Fizzy. You just get goosebumps when you think about Fizzy driving a Ferrari. I remember when he first came into to GT cars, he didn't get it at all. It took him well over half a season to get his head round it. And then when it, when it clicked, it was like you had a different guy in the car. And it was like the old Fizzy. And he was smiling and happy and he wanted to talk beforehand. He was, you know, almost every time he got out of the car, you saw him walking down the paddock, he was scratching his head. Uh, it's not like that now. All right, so uh, AF Corsa 54 for, for Shea. Paul, do you have an opinion on a GTE app? It's going to come down to who's the best bronze. Yeah, um, and I find it very difficult to put my finger on who the best bronze is out of that little lot because um, I'll upset somebody somewhere down the line. Um, <laughs> uh, Shay's rightly said. I mean, Thomas Floor is a very good bronze, but there are some other very good bronzes down the field as well. Um, it, 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 it's it's purely down to that. The cars you've said are, are identical. It's a question of how you drive them, and um, you've you've got to be reliable. You've got to stay out of trouble. It's hugely difficult in AM when you've got um, rocket ships from G uh, from. P1 coming past you mm. when you've got rocket ships from GT Pro coming past you and you've got the little pesky P2s coming past you as well. You've got to be able to judge closing speeds, not on how fast you're closing on somebody else, but closing speeds through yeah. a rear view mirror. Yeah. You know, have you ever tried looking through your letterbox and seeing how fast the postman's coming up the drive? That's the kind <laughs> of thing you have to do to judge cars closing on you uh, you know it's not as easy as it is when you just think of closing in on another car um, and and that's the challenge for the, for these bronze drivers mm, absolutely right so that's the GT field uh, looked at for you for the 2019-2020 FIA World Endurance Championship uh, let's move to the prototype categories uh, we'll start with LMP2 eight cars for the season here and the first change that we have to talk about or the first I, I think the one of the very interesting things here is that Dunlop have rebranded themselves Goodyear so now instead of M's and D's in uh, LMP2 which is the has been for a wee while Paul, wee while Paul Trustwell the only place where we've had uh, different tyres competing different tyre companies competing against each other now it's M and G so welcome back to the Goodyear brand you and I uh, remember them very well in uh, endurance racing uh, and uh, up to and including Le Mans. Uh, well, I, I have a Goodyear tyre downstairs, although I have to say it's not from a, a, a sports car. It's from a Formula One car. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, no, I mean, good, it, Goodyear um, uh, has so long been associated with motorsport. So uh, and I think that's uh, that's great. Um, if it brings the Goodyear blimp back to Le Mans, then uh, even better. That's exactly um, what Shane and I said before we started the programme when we were talking about this coming back from the airport earlier this week. No, that, that, that's absolutely right. I cycled all the way from my house, my mum and dad's house in East Harrington over to what is now Nissan, which used to be Us, Usworth Aerodrome, uh, and went to see the Goodyear blimp when it was on a visit 
to Sunderland. And somewhere, I'll guarantee you, I still have the cap that I bought that day. Well, there's a Goodyear blimp that lives about 10 miles north of my house. Maybe that's my transport to Le Mans next year, John. I'll just have to leave in April. Yep, yeah. <laughs> now, actually, it's leaving yeah. as soon as you get back. No, that's fine. Uh, it's, it is an, an, a name that we haven't seen for a wee while, Paul. Good to have them them back. Obviously, it's, uh, it is part of the, the, the Goodyear Dunlop group, and it, it's been a... Uh, a decision that's based on sound marketing reasons because it is a global brand, whereas was Dunlop actually isn't uh, always, doesn't always have visibility everywhere that the FIA World Endurance Championship goes. Uh, no, and I, and I think your point is that in terms of tyre technology, it is not going to be a hugely different tyre than the uh, the Dunlops that had been uh, run in the past. I think the question has to be, though, um, where people have made a change, um, they've not made the change from Dunlop to Goodyear, but there's been a couple who have made a change from uh, Dunlop to Michelin. Yeah. Um, those who have stayed with uh, Dunlop have gone from Dunlop to Goodyear, if you yes, see what I mean. I should do, um, yes. So, um, you know, the, that is the, um, the big change, but it is a change in name only. It's uh, kind of par for the course for P2, isn't it? Um, it's very much to, it's very much Good the point. same um, it, it's very much the same tyre um, technology that, uh, that we've been used to in P2 uh, it's not like Goodyear have come along with a whole new set of compounds no. um, so I think, you know the, the lessons that, that Dunlop have learned over the years will be there and, uh, you know, the history is there um, but, you know, brilliant to, say, to, to have, um, you know, the Goodyear tyres um, back in top top flight motorsport. Yeah, glo- global brand. Uh, what Paul's talking about in terms of rebranding, of course, is the fact that, uh, well, the chassis that we have and the spread of chassis that we have in LMP2 somewhat reduced uh, this year because we have A, Delara, and everything else is an Orica. Uh, there's an Alpine in there, but that's an Orica. Uh, all of the... Uh, it just has a second chassis plate on it um everything is powered by the same gibson engine and the drivetrain is and gearbox is uh, common to both that's the spec part of lmp2 so broadly speaking the performances of the cars are, are pretty close together um there's slight aerodynamic differences and uh, we could do a whole hour-long program on which tracks might be slightly better suited to um the Orica body kit or the Delara body kit. Um, a shame, I should say straight away, that we have only got Shea, one one Delara uh, and, a, and a field full of, of Oricas. And no Ligiers. That's no the Ligiers, other thing yeah. that's really sad. Um, yeah. Those cars, they, they just look happy when you look at the headlights. They're often... Of the a, Ligiers. Yes, yeah, they're, yeah. they're a fan favorite with little kids. My nephews in particular love those cars because... they had a smiley face. And they thought that they looked like little froggies. That they were like little <laughs> Kermit the Frogs on the grid. So Excellent. it really is a shame that we're not going to see any of those. But really exciting to see some of these new liveries that have been unveiled on the cars. And Joda, in my book, should win the season for their livery alone. Well, and that ties in with what we were seeing with the Goodyear brand because they've gone uh, with some fairly uh, stout uh, and visible Goodyear branding on a uh, basically blue car looks absolutely stunning. Roberto Gonzalez, Pastor Maldonado and Anthony Davidson are three drivers, two platinums and a silver. And straight away, having picked that one out, you've got to say, 
Hello. Yes. I think yeah, good, she... to, good to see Ant back as well, Paul. Uh, is it going to be Pastor Maldonado? Well, that's who's on the entry list. Mm. Who do you think... Who do you think... Um, I, I have read... Right. I can't remember where I read it now, so uh, I won't give any credit or blame. Uh, but I've read that Pastor Maldonado isn't going to be there and that Antonio Felix da Costa is. Ah. Uh, oh, I think you're right. Right. So, okay. I'll be um, that change on here. It, I, don't, I don't think... I think Jota wanted to announce it. And um, they probably told a journalist somewhere, and he told another journalist, and then I read something that a journalist wrote. Um, and then right. Shape probably read the same thing or somewhere else. Um, so it's not been announced by Jota, so therefore it is not official. But I do believe that it's going to happen. Right. Okay. Um, or rather that pasta is not going to happen. To... Uh... Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to cut carbs down, so there's never any pasta for me anymore. <laughs> the, um, Antonio Felix de Costa, not a bad, not a bad sub if if that was to happen. And you know, Roberto Gonzalez, he's a very good and solid silver. We've seen him winning races in the past. I was there when he, he won in Mexico, of course. That was a, a stunning uh, weekend for for that whole team. Anthony Davidson, as we mentioned, Paul, uh, still graded as a platinum driver. Uh, very unlucky to have lost his drive at Toyota Gazoo uh, racing a couple of years ago uh, and to be kept out of a drive there by Jose Maria Lopez. Still not allowed to drive a P1 car, though, because he still has links to Toyota. Yes, I think if um, if certain things happen, you know, there's a, there's a food poisoning outbreak in Cologne or something, uh, <laughs> then Anthony does get brought in as uh, as the driver. Um, so he, he's still any, effectively their reserve driver, isn't he? Yeah. And any secrets that he knows about uh, P1 cars, he's you know, they, they don't want him to go blabbing to uh, to anybody else in P1. Um, he's also quite a handy broadcaster, I'm told. Um, so, you know, he's just one of these people that seems to do everything well. Um, Far so, too talented. <laughs> um, the, the other thing, we'll go down the list, and I'm sure you, you have a, a plan to do so, John. Um, but as you go down the list, count how many cars in P2 actually have gone to the limit of their driver lineups. You, the, the requirement for driver lineups in P2 is that you have to have at least one silver or bronze driver. The other two are free. Yeah. Um, now the the Jota car talked about it. Anthony Davidson, uh, Anthony uh, Antonio Felix Acosta. I'm going to end up calling him Anthony. Uh, two ants, yeah. um, uh, along with Roberto Gonzalez. They're two platinums, mm-hmm. um, but not all the cars. Only four cars, by my reckoning, in the eight LMP2 entries are actually at the limit of only one silver. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, that's a very good point indeed. Well, we'll. we'll pick them off then as Paul has mentioned that Phil Hansen uh, is the silver driver for the number 22 United Autosports Orica Gibson uh, with Philippe Albuquerque and Paul de Resta uh, again I'll, I'll say straight away that's that looks good United Autosport uh, with Richard Dean running Zach Brown's team uh, they are extremely accomplished Paul in running motor cars motor racing cars around the world of whatever shape size or formula but not so used to the orica because they're new to the orica um having only just acquired uh the orica and i think um shay will probably know better than i um they still have they still have links as distributors of ligiers do they not yes that, they that, do. well that was i think that was taken away they they at uh, the agreement that they had with ligier to be the uh uk distributor 
a supporter mm. of that. Once they started running the other cars, that was uh, terminated. Uh, was not, and I say not. I say terminate. That sounds like there was a bit of a, a slanging match. It was not at all like that. It was done a very in a very adult fashion uh, with a couple of press releases. And I think we talked about it on Midweek Motorsport ooh, quite a while ago now. Not, thankfully, like some of the Twitter spats or, or social media spats that we've seen in the past. But obviously it makes perfect sense, Shea, uh, that if your Halo team and the people who are distributing your cars have gone to the opposition, it makes it pretty difficult for them to continue to represent you if you're Ligier. Yeah, they were still the best Ligier every year at Le Mans. They, they still put up the best fight in terms of being the manufacturer that felt like they had a hand tied behind their back going into the big race. And clearly everybody is aimed at winning Le Mans in that category. So I understand it. But I I, I remember that there was something about them parting ways amicably. Yeah. But I thought there was still some sort of tie that remained between the two in, in terms of the door can reopen if... Well, and, I, and I certainly think they've still got some Ligier chassis. Yes. They definitely have, and, and, and the, the LMP3s as well. Yeah, and the Ligier chassis, I believe, are over in the States, and they could run them at big events such as the Daytona 24, which, which is, is now, now a standalone, standalone event. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. So that's two Platinums and a Silver. Paul DeResta, uh, who, like Anthony Davidson, uh, is uh, has development, who are actually a very good broadcaster, and... Uh, aside from his DTM duties, also doing some racing for United Autosports. DTM, of course, for our motorsport in the Aston-shaped car. Uh, both he and Anthony on the Sky Sports F1 coverage uh, here in the UK and effectively now used as the international field. Philippe Albuquerque, the Portuguese driver, needs no introduction, really. Uh, he gets in. He's a bit of a plug-and-play Driver gets in, drives everything quickly. Always had a, has a good word to say. Philip Hansen, underrated, I think. Good silver driver, uh, and has been around the block more than the odd once or twice. Absolutely, and I think he um, served notice of his ability at Le Mans this year when um, there was a, a slight hiccup in the uh, calculations in United Autosport, and uh, Phil had to do um, an extra five minutes worth of driving, yes. but rather than just leave him in the car for the extra five minutes that was required, um, they left him in for a whole stint, yeah. um, and the car didn't lose any ground. Uh, as Shay already said, it was the best place, non-Orica, um, mm. and deservedly so. So, yeah, I mean, United know what they're doing. Um, you know, it, it's it's like talking about AF Corsa. You know, they, they've got everybody in place that they need to have in place. They know how to run a car. Uh, if it's not working, they'll change it and make it work. Um, um, and the, the, it, an incredibly um, well-organised, well-drilled um, operation. No, I mean, they're a bit like Jota. You know, they're just good at what they do. Yeah, absolutely agree. The Jota is the mighty 38. Of course, that number back with a Jota entry this year, a full Jota entry. United Autosports team to, uh, uh, is the 22 team. Now, I'm looking. I can't find another team that's got two Platinums. Everybody else has got the the next best. I reckon is platinum, silver, and gold, uh, and that would be uh, the Jackie Chan DC Racing thirty seven car with Hoping Tung as the gold, Gabriel Aubry as the silver, and Will Stevens as the platinum, and or Signatech Alpine. They've got a very strong driver lineup in Thomas Laurent. 
Uh, Andre Negrau, both gold, and then Pierre Rags is the silver. Yeah, no platinum driver there. Uh, for, oh, for those. To, yeah, I mean, why is Thomas Laurent? I mean, yeah. this this is where we get into the knots mm. of uh, of driver gradings. Um, and as I said, even though four out of the eight um, are. The, the, at the maximum level, um, the other four, which aren't, you know, they've got two silver or bronze drivers in the car, um, that they're not going to be out of the race just because they've got two silver or bronzes in no. the car, no. um, because the cars themselves are all pretty much identical. The, you know, it, it's going to be who all about who's going to be quick driving them uh, all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and if you also look at the platinum, silver and bronze, the, the other platinum, silver, bronze, uh, Lineup is Cool Racing, a Swiss badged, another Swiss badged team. This is the 42 Orica Gibson. That's uh, Antonin Borga, who is Swiss. Uh, uh, Andrea uh, uh, Alexandra Coigny, uh, who's also Swiss. He's the bronze. And Nico Lapierre, who's again found himself a new lease of driving life and has been driving brilliantly well. Another, of course, Toyota Gazoo Racing uh, refugee, although going back a little bit further than, than Ant, who's still Anthony Diverton, who, who's still involved. It looked for a, a wee while, a few years ago, that he might be ready to, to hang up his helmet, came back, has found a new place here in LMP2. He's found his smile and he's found his speed and he's enjoying life. Three wins in four years at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Put Says, money oh, on him right, right. now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it'll be short odds already. They're only getting shorter. Uh, who have we not talked about? High class racing, Danish team, Mark Patterson, Kenta Yamashita, Anders Fjordback. That's a bronze, a gold and a silver. So, uh, interesting a partnership there for high class racing. That's obviously another one of the the Oricas. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Anders Fjordback is uh, one of these super silvers. Mm. Um, very, very rapid indeed. Um, so, you know, I, I would certainly, you know, you put your money on. You're absolutely right to talk about Nicolas Lapierre. I mean, he to my to my mind, when he was on the top of his game in uh, in P1, uh, was pretty much unbeatable. But occasionally he had down days, um, and unfortunately the down days often came at uh, weekends. Um, the but yeah, Anders Fjordback is uh, is a very quick driver as well, and uh, so yeah, don't don't overlook the high class car. Um, that. The who who else we haven't talked about mm. uh, the racing team Nederland car the van uh, car, car to, the, the the jumbo car yeah um, I don't know if it's got jumbo car colours on its way again I would guess it will because it's got Fritz van Aert still behind the wheel uh, that is no longer a Delara that is now an Orica, Orica. Um, so uh, another team both the uh, United and uh, racing team Nederland uh, choosing to switch from their respective Ligier and Delara chassis to an Orica for 2019-2020 um, and the guy to look out for in that car the additional driver alongside Fritz van Aert and Giga van der Garde uh, Job van Outert um, who is a very rapid young Dutchman. Mm. Um, I think we probably both bumped into uh, a, a big fan of his and driver manager uh, last year, this year at Le Mans, John. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Job is a very, very quick driver indeed. Yeah, and also I believe looking uh, for other opportunities, including in the US uh, at the moment. That's the 29 racing team near the land car. The other car that we haven't talked about then uh, is the Settila Racing, the Italian 47 entry. That is the Delara uh, with an Italian flag on it. That's, that seems reasonable. Uh, Roberto Lacorte, Andrea Bellici, uh, 
very Italian sounding, but Swiss uh, in terms of his nationality. And uh, Giorgio Senagiotto is the other Italian driver there. Uh, it's going to be tough for them, the single Delara amongst the sea of Oregon, stroke Alpine. Um, on a, a given day, on a given track, the, the Delara might have a chance. You're pulling your face as if to say I, no shit. It's, it's been a rough go for that team, particularly at the 24 Hours of Le Mans the last couple of years. Now, they came into it with a new car two years ago. They had uh, Felipe Nasser, if you remember, in the car with them for that race. They wrote the car off in one of the practice sessions, ah, yes. had damage to the tub, had to fix it, didn't have a great race. They came back better this year, but it was still not enough to really put them up amongst the front runners. They're going to have a, a character building season where they're going to learn where they have to step up, but that's why you come racing. You don't take the green flag because you think you're not going to see the checker. You want to learn, you want to improve, and you want to go out there and race. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Uh, we started talking about LMP2, uh, talking about Goodyear, and it is, as we've mentioned, the only uh, category that has two different tyre manufacturers, Michelin and Goodyear, this year. So for the sake of probability, we should tell you that the Goodyear teams are High Class Racing, Jackie Chan DC Racing and Jota. And, well, again, Paul, it's it's that little bit of variety in a class that has very little variety, uh, given it's uh, the formula itself and the lack of leisure years. Um, is that going to provide us with some interest over the 2019-2020 season? You mean the LMP2 category as a whole? Uh, yes, in, in ter- and, and particularly the fact that we've got three teams uh, out of the eight that are on Goodyear tyres. Going, going up yes. against Michelin think, is always yes. difficult in, in exactly. any category. And, and fair play for, for Dunlop having done it, they've... they've, they've in the past, when they were Dunlop, they they have concentrated on LMP2, and they have had success. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think tyre wars are difficult, aren't they? Because you either end up with um, one tyre that is clearly better than the other, um, and... At, at that point, everybody suddenly swings from one to the other. Mm. Um, and, you know, w- w- you were kind of hinting that maybe Michelin had the better tyre. Uh, and in previous years, Dunlop um, had struggled to keep up. But then they pretty much got to the same level. Absolutely, they um, did. And um, so there was a bit of a swing back from Michelin towards towards Dunlop. And that has now become Goodyear. Um when conditions are intermediate or um, you, you're suddenly looking for uh, a, a tyre a that works in very warm conditions um, or in um, unusual conditions like you sometimes have at Bahrain because of the sand on the track um, or in dreadful wet conditions as we sometimes have in Japan, um, you know, then a a, a tyre manufacturer can suddenly have an advantage. Mm. Um, But I think you need to have that mix. Um, But most of the time, the tyres have to work pretty much the same. It's just on occasion... You know, it's it's quite nice if uh, a tyre gives you an advantage because otherwise there's no point in having the tyre war in the first place. No, uh, uh, and the other point is that we should make, Paul, is it's not as if um, the tyre manufacturers have this tyre war as they do, let's say, in Japanese Super GT, GT500 in particular, where they're throwing money at tyres and coming up with bespoke tyres for different circuits. Other than at Le Mans, the tyres are set 
for the whole of the the, the, the other seven rounds of the season. It's not like they're coming up with brand new tyres uh, at every round, new compounds in construction. So it, it is, it's a tyre differential, a tyre choice. Um, it might be a tyre battle, but it's not an all-out war for the whole season, is it? No, no that's right. And I, th- I think the other thing is that uh, certain drivers tend to be able to get the best out of tyres. That's a very good point. Um, more than others. And this is where experience tends to... Uh, tends to play its role and that's where your Anthony Davidson's Nicola Lapierre's um, kind of have um, an extra little bit of uh, experience so they can use the tyre a little bit better mm. perhaps than um, some of the younger drivers thinking people like Thomas Laurent um, nothing against him as a driver but he's no, no, a no. less experienced driver than the others I've mentioned um, who may not quite know some of the tricks um, of, of getting tyres up to temperature or keeping them within their operating window uh, and things like that and it's, it, that, that's where it can be quite interesting sometimes to look at drivers times over the course of a stint and see how some drivers tend to uh, start very very quick but then by the end of a set, end of a stint um, it kind of tails off a little bit um, I suppose the only advantage uh, as far as LMP2 is concerned is that their stints are probably amongst the shortest um, mm. amongst everybody. Um, so they'll be uh, almost certainly they'll be the first pick callers uh, at Silverstone this weekend mm. um, looking at stints of round about 38 minutes for P2. Oh, really? Right, um, that's yes, short. It, it, it's very short indeed. Right. Um, they'll do 20, maybe 21 laps, um, and, and then they'll be pitting for fuel. Right. Um, so so double again, stinting the tyres shouldn't be an issue, should it? Shouldn't be an issue. No, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, it depends how hot it is at Silverstone this weekend. You know, temperatures that we've had in the week leading up to it um, have, been, um, have been very Mediterranean, but we'll see what happens <laughs> at Silverstone. But again, again, it's where the problem of stint lengths um, and minimum driver times kind of clash with each other uh, because the minimum driving time for drivers in LMP2, uh, 45 minutes. Um, now... As I say, your stint length is around 38 minutes. So what do you do? Again, you've got to double stint every driver in the car yeah. in order to get them up to their minimum drive time. And is there a specific uh, regulation about how much the bronze driver has to do in that or how little the platinum driver could do? Is that a better way of saying it? it it's, it's the same for every driver. So it's 45 ah. minutes minimum for every driver. Um, and the only constraint is then that there's a maximum uh, and that's two hours and 45 minutes. But as I said earlier on, we got three drivers to share these P2 cars for a four-hour race. So that's really not an issue. Um, The the maximum driving time is not an issue. And is there there a um, mandated number of tyres as well in LMP2 for the uh, weekend? There is. um, And there's been a bulletin which has changed it, which I, uh, with... I presume that's different for different lengths of races as well through the year. Uh, so that... it, it is, and whilst I just look that up, I mm. will say um, that all credits the WEC. I don't know if you've um, downloaded the uh, sporting regulations yet for this year, John, but uh, they have, they've changed the format of the regulations this year, and I have to say they are an awful lot more readable. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes been quite difficult to get your head around the uh, regulations, but um, have they year, have they have they highlighted all the changes in red? Uh, you, you can have a highlighted version if you want. Ooh. I personally prefer a green one, um, a clean version, right. which <laughs> just has the regulations, because otherwise I find it a little bit. Uh, 
um, too confusing. But the, as I say, the, 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 they haven't changed much in the regulations, but as I say, the, just the way that the whole thing has been laid out is uh, much better. Um, so tyre allocations, uh, for the four hours of Silverstone, qualifying and race, there has been a modification issued uh, just last month, uh, and they have 18 tyres for qualifying and the race for Silverstone. Right. Uh, in... LMP2, GT Pro, and LMP1, 18 tyres each. Uh, In GTM, it's 22 tyres. Right. Um, That's not equally divisible by four. I I was just about to say, neither of those numbers (laughs) divide by four. Have you not read the bit about the uh... (laughs) (laughs) six-wheeled... This is is why everybody's worried about the new Corvette. It's actually going to have six wheels. See eight for a reason. Eight, eight, eight yeah. wheels. Eight wheels. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Okay. That that's that's again that that gives you sets plus two wild wild cards if you like. Yeah. In fact, for yes, that. That's yeah. Right. Exactly right. Uh, Paul Trustwell and Shea Adam are with me, John Hindorf, as we look forward to the 2019-2020 FIA World Endurance Championship, which kicks off with the four hours of Silverstone, and we're there in force trackside and we'll be covering all of the sessions for Silverstone as we do at Le Mans and with the rest of the season uh, it will be uh, pract- it'll be qualifying and the whole race live Johnny Palmer of course will be uh, leading the WEC coverage uh, as ever this season coming up uh, let's get to the cars at the front of the field where for Silverstone at least there will be six LMP1 cars with the addition of a second Rebellion racing car. And that is going to be put into the hands of Nathaniel Berthon, uh, the very quick Brazilian Pete Durani, and Loic Duval from France. At the moment, the Swiss-flagged team, Paul, just saying it's Silverstone. What's, what's your feeling or what are you picking up from the guys... At well, it's Orica who's effectively running that now. I'm not sh- even sure how much uh, Bart uh, is involved uh, in that. But what are you picking up in, in terms of where and when we might see that car again? Um, I think it depends how Silverstone goes. Um, the the thing that I don't quite understand is why they have they originally said they would only run one car and then they decided to kind of put a second in because the incremental cost of running a second car is actually quite high. Um, you may think, you know, oh, well, you know, it's, um, you know, it's just another car. We'll just be able to run the two. I mean, you're certainly not doubling your cost, um, but you are adding a significant portion when you think about how many extra people you need to bring along. Yes, you need three more drivers. That's pretty obvious. Obvious, but you can't do uh, a prototype race um, using only one set of mechanics. If you're bringing on a second car, mm. you'll need to have a second set of mechanics to run that second car for you. Uh, you've then got all the incidental costs of tyres and fuel and all the other bits and bobs that you need to run a car. So um, the reason for only running one car originally and only entering one car for the whole season um I had thought was done on cost basis, but as I say, the cost of running a second car is not insignificant, I would suggest. So it's a bit of a mystery why they're running that second one. My my intuitive thought... And that's is not that, a, we should say it's not a full season entry. So as it, of right now, it won't get an automatic entry to Le Mans. So that's, it's not for that reason. 
Uh, no, but I have a feeling that for the Le Mans, you're allowed to enter as well. You are allowed to enter additional cars, um, and we'll come on to what might happen uh, mm. with Janetta in a minute as well. Um, so I would certainly expect there to be two rebellions at Le Mans, and for that reason, uh, as we spoke earlier on, um, there will most likely be two rebellions at Spa because that's mm. when you kind of go through the logistics yes. of running two cars. Um, so. If they were going to run two cars uh, at Le Mans, I would say, OK, yes, we run two cars at Spa. The fact they've decided to start running two cars at the beginning of the season makes me think that they might try and run two cars throughout the year. Now, when that does become a problem is if one of them should suffer damage. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've seen the kind of damage that can happen to one of these cars. They go very, very quickly. And as a result, when they come off, they do quite a lot of damage. So um, I think as long as they can get the two cars to the flag, then we'll see two cars coming up oh, right. uh, at, the, uh, at the next round of the championship. Um, but that's, again, speculative on my part and just applying logic. Um, I've not spoken to uh, any anybody from Rebellion or from Orica to, to, to confirm that. That's, as I say, just me um, putting two and two together and saying, well, look, you know, if you've if you've done the deal to do race by race, then um, let's run one car mm. race by race as long as we have two cars that are available and fit to run. I'll talk about the drivers with uh, Shea in a moment. But uh, how much is left of the old Rebellion now, Bart Hayden's? racing team because we're talking about as, as, as Orica run that Orica designed and built the Rebellion R13 again it runs with uh, Gibson power on that car how, how much of the old Rebellion team and, and Bart Hayden's operation is left I think quite a lot of it um, I, I mean we would have to go to Silverstone and just have a look around the crew but mm. uh, I think quite a lot of it is still right. is still Good. the the original Seba racing yes. um, run by uh, Bart's father Hugh a uh, great character much missed um, so. but um, I think Bart um, you know he's he has a racer's blood in him and he makes these things work on a on a business <clears throat> on a business like fashion Um uh, and, and and you know, a racer is always a racer. Yeah. Well, whilst uh, Paul gets his voice back there, uh, Shea, let's talk about the uh, full season enter car, the number one car, Bruno Senna, Gustavo Menezes from the USA. Uh, added to Norman Nato from France. Uh, here's the addition this year. Gustavo and Norman are the two are two gold drivers. Bruno, of course, uh, a platinum driver. Um, There'll be a few people who perhaps haven't heard of Norman Nato, the, the Frenchman, but he's got a he's got a bit of pedigree. Gustavo, uh, now a gold driver, was a sneaky super silver for a, a little while, uh, and that caused a bit of controversy. But he's held his you know he's he's held his own as a gold uh, a driver quite uh, quite significantly, and he's a good driver. Bruno Senna. Pff. Bruno Senna enjoying himself yeah. back in LMP1 again. Yeah, it's an interesting lineup for sure, uh, especially when you consider that they've got Nat Pertin in the second car, at least for Silverstone, because Nat has been a driver hanging around Rebellion for quite some time. He's been loyal to them, even if they haven't always put him in the car. So that was interesting to see them split up the two, in effect, because they have... Two known quantities in the number one and the Normanato being the unknown to the team at the very least. So that plays a difference. But for the second car, that's the one that's pretty interesting because Pippo Durrani is a guy that we know is fantastic in prototypes. He's proven it time and time again. Extraordinary Second talent. right now in the WeatherTech Prototype Championship, as a matter of fact. Loic Duval. Needs no introduction. Cool. World Endurance Champion overall in 2013 alongside Mick Nish and Christensen, two 
pretty big names mm-hmm. there. So you've got on paper a phenomenal driver lineup in your non-full season car. That's a good point. How is that going to mess with championship if potentially you find the number one maybe sitting behind the sister car? Orders come in play, well, team orders. It, it just gets complicated. Yeah, then we'll have to keep an eye out on that. Uh, Paul Trustwell mentioned Janetta. Uh, we have Team LNT, uh, which is Lawrence Tomlinson's team. He's the man behind Janetta. Now, strictly speaking, let's remind ourselves, and this counts to Rebellion Racing as well, that if you are not running a hybrid, you're not allowed to have uh, a manufacturer uh, entry in LMP1. Um, so uh, these Janettas aren't works cars, and we mustn't call them works cars. It's the G60 LT P1 with AER power. And along with the rebellions, and, and Paul, you and I have talked about this before, um, had we never had the hybrids, uh, even in the, the joyous days of three manufacturers, we, I think we would have been quite happy with the this current crop of LMP1 privateer cars. They are beautiful machines. They are properly engineered and built. They're quick and they look fabulous and sound great as well. Let's, let's say straight away that these in terms of prototype racing cars, are uh, so no poor relation in, in terms of their design and the amount of passion that's gone into them, uh, if, if not some of the technology, I accept. But in, in terms of what we as race fans look for, if, if there were no hybrids, and if there'd never been any hybrids, and this had been the top class, we'd have been very happy with that. Uh, indeed so. Um, and I, I think... I think almost hybrid is a bit of a red herring. Um, you mentioned it. It's manufacturers. Correct. Um, Good point. Which, um, you know, you, you have manufacturers and you have privateers. You know, for years and years when I started watching motor races, you know, people used to go out and they used to they used to buy a Lola chassis or they used to uh, buy a Ferrari chassis or whatever chassis you wanted to go out and buy, uh, you would go out and buy. Uh, you know, went into the 80s, people could go out and buy Porsche 956s, 962s. Um, and uh, you would then run them and it was then all about how you would uh you know get on with the racing and um Lawrence Tomlinson remembers those days of course and, he does. um he now is living the dream because he's built his own prototype which is um uh, eligible to go for the top honors at Le Mans and it was tragic last year that uh, the rug got pulled out from under his feet a little bit um and what should have been uh, a great season last year um a learning season last yes. year hasn't been a learning season he's going to have to start doing his learning this year um learning for what you then may ask well, well. answers answers to that in a separate program um <laughs> but uh, uh, but you know I, I i think it's great to have the the Jeanetta name uh um, totally agree in there uh you know you can go out and um you can go and buy a Janetta. um you can drive it on the road mm-hmm. um if you're a um a fan of motorsport um you, you will have watched Janetta racing there's a there's a whole academy of Janetta racing geared towards gentleman drivers um for heaven's sake my son has driven a Janetta on a proper racetrack for heaven's um, sake i've i've raced a Janetta. I've, I've raced in the Genetta Super Cup. So, so there you go. Um, you know, so, so there is that element to it. I have a, I have a great friend. Um, you probably will be listening to this, Ian Goodliffe, um, who comes from York, and he um, 
every year takes a whole band of friends of his over to Le Mans. And he was telling people about this car that was made in Yorkshire mm. and, you know, it, it was going to be up there in the top class. Um, and so, you know, there are, and there are a lot of people like Ian who are out there, um, you know, and they'll be waving the flag for Janetta. And, you know, I think it is a good story. Um, and the way that P1 is going to run this year with, we haven't mentioned success handicaps yet, have we? No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I was going to leave um, that <laughs> till the end. Um, but the the way that it's going to happen this year, the more points you score, the heavier the car is going to get. And the more points you score, the slower the car is going to get. Even if it gets heavier, they're going to find another way of making it slower. Yeah. Um, and so by the end of the school year um we're going to have a rather different shape to the the balance between p1 than we have at silverstone yeah um and you know more power to the elbow whether it's rebellion whether it's janetta um you know i think it's great um is the lack uh, two things about janetta um first of all lawrence goes into nothing with uh, anything other than his eyes open um he is not one of the successful businessman types who the moment he moves into anything with wheels and an engine loses all of his uh, business nous and savvy quite the reverse i would say i think he looks at it even harder so that he he makes sure it is the business brain that's making the right decisions i'm not saying that he has no emotion about it far from it but has the loss of that last year having to put together a team because remember it wasn't team lnt that was supposed to be running the cars uh, last year and the the loss of time on track, that's effectively a brand new car. And I know they've done a lot of testing, uh, quite a lot of testing uh, in the uh, time between them getting this programme together and going to Silverstone. But that that can't be the perfect scenario for, for Team LNT with the 5 and 6 car. Uh, no, certainly not for a perfect scenario. Um you know, and they've also had the change of engine. They've had to make the AER work. Um and as I say, it turns into this year being the learning year um, when they could have had last year. Um, you know, it's little things like, you know, the mechanics knowing um, how they work together, getting all the tyres from the tyre warmer through to the uh, car in time, um, making sure that they know how to uh, change the bodywork quickly, get the drivers in and out of the car, yeah. who changes the drinks, all those things that have yeah. to be done, which they could have had all last year practising. Yeah. Um, They've had to practice, yeah, and they will have practiced at the workshop, you know. But there's nothing like being in a race scenario, no, and it, that, you know that, that they're going to be climbing um, a, a pretty steep mountain as the season goes on. Um, and yeah, ideally they would have done it all last year. Um, but as you say, Lawrence is a pragmatist, if nothing else, yep. and he'll accept that it is what it is, and he'll be getting on with doing what he has to do, starting from where he is. Uh, the drivers share Charlie Robertson, uh, Janetta uh, through and through, Ben Hanley, another British driver. He's a gold. Igor Arutchev, uh, another gold driver. That's the the five car. A word about the, that uh, trio to start with. Well, it, they have Charlie Robertson back in the car, which is consistent with Janetta and and Michael Simpson for the six car as well. That mm. that should be mentioned. 
Ben Hanley coming in is interesting because he was with Dragon Speed last year. So he drove a car at most of the rounds for the WEC. Oh, he's familiar with the track, but he's been doing some IndyCar driving. So he's, he's got a little bit of open wheel experience under his belt. And then Igor Aruchev coming in. You've got a driver from Dragon Speed and a driver from SMP joining with Janetta. Both of those guys have experience in the WEC. They know what mm. to expect from the racing. They know what to expect from LMP1. But they're new to the car and the engine. Yeah, good point. Michael Simpson, you mentioned in the sixth car, the second of the cars. Uh, Guy Smith, uh, 2003 Le Mans winner with Bentley, all-round good guy. Uh, Another returnee to international motorsport. Uh, I I seem to remember talking to him over a year ago when he said, right, that's it, I'm going off to continue doing me rallying and uh, I'm going to mess about with stuff and spend some time at home with his wife, uh, and children. Um, he's back. Um, for the full season, it should have been Chris Dyson. Uh, now uh, graded as a silver driver. Uh, Dyson in the States, big motorsport name, of course. Chris, I remember him in his glory years, battling with the likes of the works drivers from BMW and, and Audi in the ALMS, the American Le Mans series. And Muscle Milk. Uh, muscle, also with Muscle Milk, yeah, yep. absolutely. Fantastic. Chris Jumping into that, there is a connection with AER, uh, which is the engine manufacturers based here in the UK, but the Dyson family very much involved uh, in that concern. Uh, But Chris won't be in at Silverstone for the first round because he's still doing some racing. He's racing Trans Am in the stage series that you've had dealings with over the last few years, and he's hurt his hand. He uh, had a brake issue at Road America, which is not a place you ever want to have a brake issue. Oh, dear. Had a bit of a shunt and injured his wrist. And in those cars, you do actually shift. You don't have paddle shifters yeah, for, yeah. for the big grunty engine. So it was it was a bit of an incident for him. But instead of coming over here, jumping in the car the weekend after, he's going to sit it out one, see how it goes. But we are being robbed of the Dyson Smith reunion. Correct. And the ALMS fan inside my heart cries over that. We do have a really good substitute, though, because uh, one O Jarvis was available. So Ollie will be taking over an LMP1 car for the first time, I believe, since 2014, I think, was the last time he drove one at Le Mans. Maybe yeah, 2015. Audi uh, driver, uh, development driver down through the years, got into Audi. Was he going to be the next generation? Yes, he was. Uh, but then the program went away. He's been plying his trade in the States and very successfully uh, with Mazda, who are on a real upswing uh, with the Multimatic uh, chassis. Uh, in some ways, going to LNT, he's going to find, I think, a little bit of synergy there. You've got a very big character in John Doonan, who's Mazda Speed. You've got a big character who in uh, Larry Holt, who is Multimatic, Lawrence Tomlinson, very similar to that. And yet it's quite a small team feel to it. I think I think Ollie will fit in right away there, and he's quick. That's the car that every British fan at Silverstone should be cheering for because it is the only one that is an all-British all lineup, that's and that's point. pretty cool in itself. Everybody on Michelin's here, as Paul's intimated, uh, there will be success ballast uh, through the season as part of a balance of performance in LMP1. If... <laughs> If I'm honest, um, I'm not exactly waving the flags for that, but I understand, and even I think Toyota, Paul, understand that uh, there has to be a little more competition uh, as we're 
sitting out at least one more season uh, as it stands with the current regulation set. Uh, Toyota Gazoo racing the seven and eight cars. Uh, seven has Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez. Uh, Seb Buemi, Kaz Nakajima and Brendan Hartley back in for that. Those two third names that I mentioned there, I, I, I've got to think that Jose Maria Lopez uh, must think himself lucky still to be in that car. <laughs> um, I, I think he deserves a seat to be honest but um, really I, 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 I think he got much better I do think he got much better towards the end of, of last season and certainly at Le Mans I thought he drove very well indeed I thought that was the best drive I've seen him uh, the, in, in that car absolutely um, he, he is a quick driver um, the it's interesting I um I, I I know you have you have spoken before about uh, Jose Maria Lopez, mm. uh, John, and uh, we we haven't exactly had disagreements about it, but uh, we've kind of gone quiet on each other when each of us has spoken, <laughs> um, which is what happened just there, actually. Yeah. Um, the, where I thought you were going to go was down the Formula E route because both yes. Lopez and Sebastian Buemi do yes. have Formula E commitments. Correct. This school this school year yeah um, and they have to make the decision at some point when they get to those uh, clashes and i don't think they've done so yet or if they have they've not made it public Correct. um what they're going to do um so um it, there's th- no th- regulation those... that says you have to run through drivers in lmp1 is there or is no. there no, no, none at all. And Other than at Le Mans, mind, obviously. Uh, uh, and yes. even at Le Mans, there, the regulation is a rather woolly one. Mm. Um, it, it's based more on kind of uh, what would happen if. Um, and so we'd really need to have a – it's a bit like an insurance policy of a third driver. Um, mm. Talk to Sterling Moss about having three drivers at Le Mans. Um, <laughs> so um, – I mean, I see in some ways I see no sense at all in having three drivers at uh, at the four hours of Silverstone because you're going to end up doing uh, one stint each uh, and then uh, another couple of stints. I reckon um, where's the uh, schedule here? Yes, a six. It's a six stint race, five stops, um, 23 laps for an LMP1 car there or thereabouts, um, and it. It kind of nicely chunks into into six stints, um, so the three drivers can do two stints each. But you could just as easily do it as a triple stint for two drivers. Yeah. Um, so, um, as I say, for the four hours, um, it wouldn't be a problem. But um, the four hours doesn't clash with the Formula E, e race. So, um, I mean, the the thing is with Toyota, they know exactly what they're doing. They, you know, it's the three driver like the two cars have the three drivers as they had last year there's no change from last year except for um, brendan uh oh yeah, that's true yes yes brendan there's there's was... one f alonso <laughs> who's not sorry uh, yes i'd forgotten yeah, no no sorry. that's that, um, that's all right um, overlooked it yeah no that that's all right but but but, but brendan i mean brendan's such an easygoing guy that it'll almost be like having fernando there except not speaking spanish i would have thought similar <laughs> hairstyles similar hairstyle yeah. yes absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the yeah, big, the, the big problem, Paul. I think, and you've highlighted there is is the Formula E clashes because the one of the Formula E uh, clashes, I believe, is Sebring, yes. which is the thousand mile race, yep. and you need three drivers uh, for that. I can't imagine any of them wanting to do Sebring with just two drivers. Uh, as as Paul's mentioned here, that there's nothing concrete or indeed public uh, about what Buemi uh, and Jose Maria Lopez will do. That assumes that Jose Maria Lopez keeps his FE uh, drive, of course, and well, that's 
uh, will will see that when all of the driving is uh, is is completed. Brendan Hartley was in for a Formula E drive as well with Porsche, which he hasn't uh, managed to secure. Although I'm led to believe that he's still looking at some options there as well. It's going to get tricky. It's going to get messy for. People like Toyota, are they in a slightly different situation because they're a manufacturer and they are likely to have driver contracts that will sit... Toyota aren't in Formula E, by the way. Correct. So, so those guys are going to race for another manufacturer. So that adds another dimension to it. From what I understand, Hartley has a contract with the Formula E team. It hasn't necessarily been announced yet, but he does have plans to run in Formula E for the next well, school year. I, I like how Paul's been calling yeah, yeah. it that. Um, Sebring's going to be an interesting one, though. You talked to my dad about running Sebring with three drivers, and he totally goes into the, in my day, we did Daytona with two. Sebring can be done with two. Sebring can be done with two. The GTE Pro cards last year, both of the Porsches ran with two drivers. For the 12 hours. For the No, no, no. For the... Um, uh, sorry, for the 1,000 Yes. So it can be done. It is physically exhausting, but that's what's great about Sebring. Mm. So when it comes time for the championship, and when we come to Sebring, of course, for next year, it's going to be a lot more set in stone with only two rounds remaining afterwards. Good point. We're going to have a better idea of who's where. And should the success ballast be starting to come into play, John, Toyota might want a bad weekend to get in better standings for Le Mans. Well, and and that's a good point, Paul, because we've got it. I think we've got to put some meat on the bones of this success ballast. It's all about how many points you've got in the championship. So does that mean that gradually throughout the season, the cars just get heavier and heavier until they're scraping the ground? I mean, how does that work? Because you're, right. you're adding points all, all the way through the year. Yeah, in in effect, yes. Um, the, the they won't actually scrape the ground because they'll increase the spring rate so that they don't. But uh, yeah. but, well, um, but but it's it's but it's not but, like my point being it's not like other uh, championships where you get success ballast and you get you know twenty kilos here, twenty kilos there, and then if you're outside the top six, you get. 10 kilos taken off once that's yeah. gone on it stays on for the rest of the season is that right yes yes Ooh. the I, I have not seen a publication that says how much um what i have seen is a memo that said that it would be a combination of uh weight and or uh turbo um boost. pressure yeah. um boost pressure um <clears throat> or restrictor size so not necessarily would it be done through weight, but that was going to be their first option. Right. Um, but you're equally right in saying that it's very clear that what uh, the Endurance Committee is trying to do is to penalise success. Uh, and I had a long and quite voluble conversation with one journalist earlier this year where we because we were calling it at that stage a balance of performance and mm. it is not a balance of no. performance it is it is not how well the car can perform it is how many points it scores so it is purely based on the success of the car so let's just say so you could example, have a rubbish race but everybody else falls out around you and you win two races by accident and all of a sudden you've got the heaviest car on the grid precisely i was about to say that i mean just say for example that two toyotas break down at silverstone um you know could could happen um Jose Maria Lopez might crash, John. Um, the, Never. Uh, <laughs> the, Never at Silverstone, um, surely. 
Um, so so j- just suppose that um, the two Toyotas crash and the two rebellions have punctures, do body work damage, mm. and lose laps, uh, and, and end up coming in um, a, a somewhat disappointed third and fourth behind the two uh, Ginettas that win the race first and second. Um, that would lead to the Ginettas getting the most points in the championship and therefore being penalised for the next round. Which kind of doesn't make sense. No, um, I, I, I've got to be honest and say <laughs> I, I've never liked putting weight into cars as a way of uh, balancing performance. As well, it's not balancing performance, as you rightly said. It's a handicap. That's very good. Handicapping. Yeah, that's exactly the, the, what it is. And as I say, that is the word that the endurance committee has used. It's success handicap. It is. Um, not a million miles away from what happens on horse racing. No, exactly um, so. You, you do well, you get a you get a handicap. But um, it's the fact that it never comes off, Paul. So well, you know, as as you're adding points throughout the season, uh, it, from how it was explained to me, and and again, we haven't seen this written down, but it was going to be an amount per point that you scored through the season, and that and you had it for the full season at that point so there's no time when it starts coming back off again and and I've always thought that adding weight is very crude to start with and you have a set of technical regulations that gives a car a, a minimum weight which you build a car down to then all of a sudden if you're running I, I don't know we've seen it in the past with success ballast in uh, touring cars certainly in GT cars where you've been running 100 kilos of of extra extra weight well dynamically that's not great but also for me there's a safety issue with that because the car's not been built to run 100 kilos heavier it's been to, to it's been built to run at 900 kilos or whatever the minimum weight is no, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, and as I say, all I will say is that in their defence, the Endurance Committee has said that they will consider other options for handicapping. Right. Uh, and it may not be purely weight. And we haven't seen, I haven't seen quite how uh, the handicap is going to be applied. And does it count? But, is it just the weight of the car? Is it the weight of the car plus the drivers? Because you could have uh, some very, very portly drivers at Silverstone, and by the time they get to uh, Le Mans, they'll be positively skeletal. Uh, it, it is the uh, car, including camera, but not including driver. Um, oh, right, okay. Which is which is weighed. So it doesn't matter how heavy. The, I mean, the heavy, heavier drivers are a penalty, but they mm. are not counted in the weight. I mean, bear in mind on the subject of weight that the Toyota is actually 54 kilos heavier this year at Silverstone than it was last year at Silverstone. Anyway. Um, anyway, that's right. probably Shay's weight. I might be being unkind, um, but it's yeah. you know yeah. it's, it's yeah. a she's it's, nodding. It's, I don't know it, what it is, so yeah, yeah. sure. Oh, because you, you probably don't know what you are in kilos, do you? No. Um, so it, it's um, that's Danica Patrick's weight. She it, she used to she used to race it. I think at fifty. 53 or 54 kilos. No way. Yeah, I mean, Element Nish used to be 60, I seem to remember. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a small adult um, in, half my in difference now. That's very uh, generous of you, Paul. I just looked it up and I am well over that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> She's um, slightly blushing at the moment. Ex- yeah. ex- excellent stuff. So, um, 
so that's the difference between where we are now, where we were last year. Mm. Um, so we needn't necessarily expect the Toyotas to be as quick this but year. But they, they have, they have been improved, year. the Toyotas. But exactly. Uh, they are not the same Toyota as last year. They're still a TSO 50 hybrid. Um, but in terms of what's different, there's an awful lot more different on the Toyota this year or this season compared to last season uh, than there is, for example, in either the Rebellion or the Ginetta. Um, I mean, apart from the case of its engine. Um, mm. But the Ginetta is very much the same beast as it was 12 months ago. So is the Rebellion. Uh, the Toyota has not stood still. And it would be a very naive man that said that straight from the get-go, uh, we're going to see the Rebellions and the Ginettas right on terms with the Toyotas because um, they want to push and Toyota don't want to get beaten. And if they are going to have to carry more weight, then they're going to need to have a car that's able to carry that weight um, for the whole season because yeah. they want to win a championship. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's as ever, you know, that there are things going on uh, that we know and we can see and that are exciting to watch, but there are other things going on in the background which we, we can only speculate about. Are we going to have an over and under then um, on how far it gets through the season in terms of Toyota, one or other of the Toyotas? I suppose the thing is you've got to balance it out between your two cars as well, haven't you? You can't let one car get miles ahead. Um, but, but an over and under on when they get heavy enough that the... Uh, a rebellion or a, an LNT Janetta can can actually beat it, and how far through the season is is that going to be? Uh, we probably need to have Johnny Palmer in on this conversation because he had a conversation with a P1 privateer person, right? Um, who said that if they're not winning races by the end of the, the this school year, yeah. um, then he'd be very surprised. Really? Oh, okay. That, that's that that's very interesting that is, that is very interesting so it will in fact I, I suspect that for many people um who aren't perhaps the purists that you and i are um the fact that somebody else is in with a chance of a win will if that is actually what happens uh wouldn't be the worst thing for the fia world endurance championship but i presume Shea and Paul, that neither of you are going to tip anybody to win the championship other than the seven or the eight car, Shea? Seven. <laughs> without, a, without a hint. That was, that was as fast as an upshift on a paddle shift <laughs> box there. After, <laughs> after Conway's performance at Le Mans, he deserves to be world champion in my book. No, I, and I, I heartily agree with, uh, with Mike's uh, rise and rise. Paul, seven or eight? <laughs> I'll go along with that. I mean, yes, especially considering what Mike did at Le Mans this year. Um, it really was devastating that he wasn't able to win. And uh, I think that I haven't spoken to him, um, but I'm sure that is rank, rank, rankles with him. But I think as long as the world knows and recognises, and I think, you know, you and I have done to, and to an extent, you know, on on, uh, on the broadcast that we've done, we, we've given him the credit for what was an outstanding Super. performance at Le Mans uh, in 2019. Um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully the gods of the sport will uh, come round and give him, um, give him his just, just desserts this year. Um, Who's the best of the rest then? I mean, Rebellion you would be the obvious choice because they've got a year's uh, yeah. a year's experience with with the cars, with the more than that, with the championship, uh, and their drivers uh, see see above answer. Uh, exactly, they tick all the boxes, don't they? Janetta has far more questions to answer. Um, the the only thing which 
Janetta has slightly in its advantage. Now it's running the AER. Uh, it's a turbocharged non-hybrid mm. um, and there are separate columns in the FIA's um, little table of equivalence of technology for either non-hybrid turbos or non-hybrid normally aspirated. Mm. Um, so they can actually do things differently for Ginetta um, on the EOT. Um, and EOT is different. I'll stress this. EOT is different. This is the equivalence of technology. technology. This was yes. put in place some time ago when we got the three major manufacturers who had uh, different sized engines, different uh, fuel uh, in terms of the calorific value. Remember, we had a diesel and different types of uh, hybrid system collection yeah. and uh, deployment there. And, and it's a... Um, it worked. I've got to say, EOT worked because I can't remember a year when I was talking about, ah, yeah, but don't forget about this. It was just door-to-door racing. So yeah. that part of it, I, I didn't really have a problem with. No, exactly. Um, and as I say, the the uh, the window of opportunity exists um, to enable turbocharged non-hybrids um, or normally aspirated non-hybrids in different ways. Right, And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um but uh, as I say, I think that will be uh, Lawrence Tomlinson's hope that that, that works in his favour. It's Paul Trustwell, Shea Adam joined me and uh, Paul as well for this look at the 2019-20 FIA World Endurance Championship. Probably just as many questions uh, as answers posed uh, in this special programme on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels, which is, of course, the only place that you can hear every race and every qualifying session live uh, from the FIA World Endurance Championship across the world, free to air with no breaks or blocks. We'll have uh, extended coverage from Silverstone and from Le Mans, and we're trying to put together the extended coverage that we put from that we had from Sebring uh, as well. We'll let you know about that uh, throughout the season here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Whatever questions we haven't been to an- been able to answer, and there's been a fair few of them uh, in this program. Don't let anybody tell you that this FIA World Endurance Championship season is all done already. We haven't turned a wheel yet. And whatever's happening at the front of the field, and there's plenty happening at the front of the field, as you've just heard, then LMP2, LMGTE Pro, and particularly LMGTE Am are going to be absolute crackers this year. Make sure you catch as much of it as you can from our live coverage here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.